as we come back in, I want us to I want to start the service a little different this morning, if it's okay. But as we have just a calm over the room for just a minute, I want you to do me a favor. I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to think about something. With your eyes closed, what do you think about when I say the word God? What image is popping in your head right now? Who do you see? What is he saying to you? What does your posture look like in front of him? How do you feel with him looking at you? So what do you see? What do you see? Now you can lift your heads and open your eyes and I want to give you a couple of things just as we process that, that thought. Everybody probably thought of something completely different. A.W. Tozer tells us that what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's about perspective. And what you think about determines how you relate to God. So when you closed your eyes and you had this thought of what he looked like, what it felt like, what he was saying to you. That has been determined by something. It's been determined by something. And how we see him and how we relate to him and how we think about him is vital to our lives because what, what happens is what, the way that we think will impact the way that we trust. It'll impact every single area of our lives. So I'll ask the question again. What do you think about when you think about God? Let me pray for us this morning. Father, I pray in these next few moments, as some of them will be tense, some of them may conjure up some places of hurt in our lives, I pray that through all of what we experience today that our perspective of you will change and we will see you for who you are. And I thank you for what you're going to do in this room and in these next moments. May our hearts be open to you, the leading of your spirit. And we pray these things in the name of our Father. Amen and amen. So let me ask you, when you, when you were thinking about God in your head, was he an angry God? Was he frustrated with you? Was he mad with you? Is there something that you feel like you've done that God is just waiting to catch you messing up and be like one of the, the whack-a-mole games? Y'all remember the whack-a-mole games where it pops up and you would try to hit it as hard as you can? I mean, I, I grew up with a lot of my life thinking that's the way my relationship with God was. The moment that I popped up, he was going to smack me and put me back in my place. So when you closed your eyes and you're thinking about God, is, is that... The, the God that you saw was this God that was angry at you, that he's waiting to get you back for something that you were supposed to do and you didn't do it. So now you live your life based off this thought that you've messed up. So God's going to punish you because you've messed up. 
So is the God that you're thinking about, is he angry? If so, if you have, if you have a God that you think is upset with you, that will affect the way that you worship. Because your worship will be out of fear and not out of love and out of affection for God. Because if I don't worship, he's going to punish me. My power is going to go out. I'm going to get diagnosed with something. God's going to take everything away from me. And that's the way sometimes people operate in their minds. So having this fear that God's going to get you will directly impact the way that we respond to him. That I don't know that if I'm scared of someone that I can trust him. If I feel like God's going to come at me, I don't know that I can trust God. Let me ask you this. Was the God that you saw a performance-based God? That if I do these things, if I read my Bible, if I pray, if I go to church, if I give, if I serve, if I'm kind, then God's going to love me. And I can earn this affection. I can earn God's love. If I can just show him that I care and the more that I do, the more that he's going to love me and I can perform myself into a relationship with him so that he will show me that he loves me. But, but if I drop the standard, God's going to come at me. He's not going to love me anymore. He's not going to want to have anything to do with me anymore. And so what you try to do is you try to, to earn God's love because you feel like the only way that he's going to love me, the only way that he's going to give me any attention is if I do these things just right. And sometimes we approach God not as an angry God. Sometimes we approach him as performance-based. His love hinges on the way that I act and the things that I do. That's a dangerous game to play because it will lead us to a couple of things. Number one, when we feel like our whole life has to be aimed at, at performing for God, we will lose joy because it's, it's not going to be fun. Because you're going to live in these moments of asking yourself, have I done enough? When is enough enough that God is pleased with my behavior? And this is why a lot of people preach behavior modifications. If we do these things, then this was what will happen instead of if you fall in love with Jesus... You don't have to worry about those things because you have no desire to those things. You have a desire to Jesus. So you, you will lose your joy. It will make you joyless. It will also make you very judgmental. Because if God is a performance-based God and you've got to earn your way in his love, you'll start to be very judgmental on what other people are doing. Well, they don't worship like I do. They don't read the Bible like I do. <laughs> they got a different translation of the Bible than I do. I learned a Greek word last week. What do they know? It's performance, and we'll become very judgmental. Maybe, maybe you're like this, because this is the way I was growing up, too, is that God was kind of like the fun police. Didn't want you having any fun, right? Can't wear my hat in church. That's not fun. God's going to smite me. Can't listen to this. Can't watch that. We had to go to Lifeway and get the VeggieTale tapes and watch VeggieTales. Even as a senior in high school, you're still watching VeggieTales. <laughs> Let's admit it. Anybody VeggieTale people? Like if we played it this morning, half of you would be grateful to watch Bob and Larry on the screen. Right? I mean, they were great. It was, it was a good, good, good time. But sometimes we feel like God is the fun police that, 
that if you're having a good time, he's going to come in and end it. No, 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 no. You're getting a little bit too excited here. Sit back down. Hey, you're raising your hands a little too high. The churches I grew up, we didn't raise our hands unless we were voting on a new pastor. That we would raise. <laughs> hands had to stay shoulder to level during worship, voting on a new pastor, high. And, and if it wasn't, the pastor or the deacon or whoever it was would always be nice to say, hey, raise your hand a little bit higher. Raise them high. Raise them good and high so we can count them, right? We, because we don't want to have too much fun in church. You can have a potluck, but be careful what kind of food you have. We don't want to get too carried away. We, we stick the fried chicken in the basics. That's what we do. We go to Winn-Dixie and we bless them. They bless us. It's a thing. And sometimes maybe you close your eyes. You feel like God's the fun place. He doesn't want me to have any fun. He doesn't want me to have this. He wants me to give everything away. He's just the kind of God he is. And if that's the thing, then we never fully get to experience his joy. So it directly impacts our relationship with him because God doesn't want me to have any fun. He wants me to be this boring, stale person. And that's not fun because... I want to have fun. Like, I want, to, I want to be joyful. But we'll treat it like that. Maybe, maybe just a minute ago when I asked you, what do you think about when I say God? How do you see him? Maybe for many of you, you saw nothing. There was, there was nothing. Because maybe at some point, you just stopped believing. Maybe there was a traumatic situation or circumstance that took place in your life and it just made you question who he even was maybe you walked away from him and so when the moment that i said that those thoughts triggered well i used to think he was real and now i don't know i don't know can i just tell you if that's you you're in good company because a lot of disciples were in the same place you remember a guy named thomas he watched his friend, his rabbi, his savior be crucified. He watched his body be taken off a cross. He watched the body be placed in a tomb. And even after the resurrection, when Mary, Martha, and Salome came back and said, hey, by the way, uh, he's not in the place that we placed him. And, and James and, and uh, or John and Peter had a foot race to the tomb to go find him. They came back and said, he's not here. And even when Jesus is standing in the room, Thomas was like, yeah, I don't believe this. It's, can I just tell you? God's not offended by your doubts. He can carry your doubts. What he's asking for you to do is just to hear from him. To put yourself in a position to be able to, to hear. So, so maybe, maybe that was your thought. It's like there's, there's absolute nothing. I, I've just come to a place in my life that I just stopped believing. And, and I'm only here at church because I came from my spouse or I came because a friend asked me to. And can I just tell you that, that if you're here and you have doubts, you're in a safe place to have those doubts and you are not here by accident. Because that's God says he determines the steps of men. He's put you in this place this morning. I would say embrace him where, where you find him this morning and wrestle within your doubts and your tensions until you can see him clearly. So when we talked about what did you think about, how many of you thought about God as a dad that that was the first thing that came to your mind is like well he's a dad right maybe maybe for a lot of you that wasn't the thought maybe it was he was the fun police maybe it was that he was uh, just wanting to, to performance base I've got to do all these things maybe God was angry at me maybe a lot of us did not see God as a dad or a perfect father 
But if how we think about God is the most important thing that we can think about, and that's the most important thing of who we are, is how we view God, and it affects everything. Why do we not see him as a perfect father? So we're calling this series 276, and here's why. Because throughout all of the scriptures, there are 276 unique times that God is referred to as father. Three of those take place in the Old Testament. You catch that? Three of them take place in the Old Testament. And yeah, I know there are other things like the father of Israel, but I'm saying unique where it refers to God as our personal father. We get into the New Testament. Jesus by himself 193 times refers to God as father and points us to understanding that he is our father. So I think it's fair to say that the most significant image that we could possibly have in our heads is when I ask the question, how do, what do we think about when we think about God? The most significant image that you and I can have is that of a perfect father. Because everything else hinges off of that. If I can see God as a perfect father who loves, who cares, I don't have to perform for him. He's not mad with me. He's not trying to suck the fun out of everything. He's a God who loves me, has given me mercy, and given me grace. Don't you think that would impact the way that we live if we saw him in that way? Our worship changes because I'm not in fear of expressing how I feel about my father in the presence of him or in the presence of anybody that's around me. It affects the way that we pray because I'm praying to a father that I know is graceful and is merciful and loves me no matter what. So I'm not going to be afraid to, to pray to him. I'm going to come just like the scripture says that I could approach the throne of God without any fears. I could have confidence when I approach him that he's not going to say, all right, go ahead and get rid of this guy. I don't want to talk to him anymore. That we, we have this relationship with God. So what, what I want to do over the next couple of weeks, I really want to, to help you, to help me. We all get this help on learning how we reframe the way that we look at God. Because let me, let me just ask you this question. Would you agree with me that our world and even our country has a very bad view of who God is? They don't know. We're seeing churches die because nobody is being receptive to the gospel for the first time in the history of the U.S. Missionaries are coming from other countries to the United States to minister and preach the gospel of Christ. For the first time. The church has a bad reputation and it has a really bad image. And I'm bold enough to say that the reason that the image is bad is because we're not looking at the right image of God as our father. But if we allowed our relationship with him as our father, and we lived as if we believed that, we prayed as if we believed that, the church would have a different image. It would be one of grace and truth and love and kindness. The scriptures say it was the kindness of the Lord that leads us to redemption. See, we, we didn't become followers of Jesus because he stood over us and told us how awful we were. And yeah, we are. We're all on the naughty list. But Jesus gave a new list that covered in blood that forgave us so we could have relationship with him. So I, I think we got to reframe our minds so that we can see God as our father. And what does that even mean? What does it even mean that God would be our father? Well, let's just go to Matthew chapter 6. So this is... In Matthew chapter 6, what we find here is Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry. And the disciples come to him and they say, hey, Jesus. And, and this is how I believe it played out was 
we see you going out every morning. Every morning you go out and you have these conversations with God. And then you come back. And then every once in a while in our little group, we hear you have these one-on-one conversations with God. What is that? Teach us how to do that. How can we talk to God? Yeah, we talk to you, but how, how do we talk to the Father? And Jesus begins teaching them what we, we call the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer. So in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, and this is a super, super important. Here's what he says. When you pray, pray like this. Our, what's the next word? Father. Our Father. See, we got we to gotta do a better job of speaking the language of the Father. Even when we pray. Father. That doesn't mean that you can't call God Jesus and you can't call him Savior and you can't call him. But I just want you to hear what I'm saying. When we call him Father, the perspective will change. Because it'll, it'll change the way that we see who he is. So when Jesus asked this, and he's, they asked Jesus of this, and he teaches them, he's not teaching them the mechanics of prayer. What he is teaching them, instead of mechanics, is this is a personal relationship that you can have with your heavenly Father. He wants to hear from you. When you say, our Father, don't forget who you're talking to. He's not just supreme creator of everything, but he is your Father. He's your Father. And so when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he's teaching us this is how we relate to God as his children. He is our Father. We are his children. So when you pray, see God as father. All right? Now, this is the first time in human history that, that we read all throughout human history that anyone said that we are to refer to God as our father. The disciples would have been floored in that moment because, see, they're, they're growing up in a, this Jewish culture, and the Jews wouldn't even say the name of God. Matter of fact, when they write it today, it's underlined and then O and D. They don't even feel that they're worthy enough to write out the name of God. So they would come up with other names, Jehovah, Yahweh, and they would refer to God in those made-up terms instead of calling him God because it was so sacred and so holy, they wouldn't even say it. And Jesus is going, nope, our Father. You don't need to be afraid to even pronounce who he truly is. I'm going to teach you how to relate to him. And they would have been floored with this. Because in the first century, you just would not say the name of God. And Jesus is upending their religious thought, their, their understanding that they were brought up with is how we talk to God. We need to be very sacred and learned, and we do. But Jesus is saying here, you got to understand, this is relationship. We approach him as our father. Now, there, there are three Three different words here in the New Testament. New Testament is written in two languages. It was written in the Greek language, and it was written in a language called Aramaic. If you've watched The Passion of the Christ, um, and you fully understood what they were saying without the subtitles, I'm impressed. But the language they're speaking in The Passion of the Christ, that's Aramaic Greek. Okay, So in the Greek language, this word father is pater. Say that with me. Pater. I know you can say it. You order Starbucks drinks every week. Caramel macchiato. Can I get, you know what I'm saying? Pater. In the Aramaic, this is Abba. Now, if you're like me, when I said that word, I automatically thought about dancing queen. Anybody else? I want to throw on a pair of roller skates and hit the rink, listen to some Abba. So we, we have these two words. We have Pater. The translation to Aramaic would go in to Abba. 
Now, when they tried to translate this word into the English, there wasn't really a whole lot of understanding of how we can translate. We really didn't have a word for it. So the closest that we can get is dad or daddy. That's the closest that we can get to the actual translation in the English. So when we say our father, I want you to hear this, that we're really saying dad. Now, that's not a name you just give people, right? This is a name that is, that is important. Because I, doesn't it matter what our kids call us? Like, you're, you're the ones that live in your roof. It's pretty important of what, how they refer you. Now, sometimes they call you the maid, the taxi, or Uber, the bank. Anybody else got any names that your kids call you? Like, they're, they're all these things. But have they ever called you by your first name? Hey, Robbie, excuse you? Try again. Robbie Foreman, try again. Dad, okay, what do you want? Because we would admit that the way that our kids, what they call us is an indication of the relationship between us. If I, if I am just your Uber driver to and from, and I am just your bank, that's a very good indication of who you think I am to you. I'm a very poor bank, and I'm not a very good Uber driver, because even I get lost majority of the time in the town that I've lived in forever. But when they call you dad, mom, think about it. Your child's first words, you and your spouse were arguing like, I hope it's daddy. I hope it's dad. I hope it's mom. When our little girl was born, we were like, oh, who's it going to be? Is it going to be dad or mom? And she said, Savannah. <laughs> that was our dog. Her first word was our dog's name. But why is it so important that when our kids are learning their first words that the first thing we want them to call is dad or, or mom? Because it's an indication of the relationship of who, of who we are, of who they think that we are. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. He, he's saying, listen, it's our father. Our first words should be our father, our dad. Because it's an indication of the relationship that I am, I am his, I am his son. I, you are his daughter. Listen to what um, Romans Romans five eight says. This Romans eight fifteen says this that is that you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. But listen to this. He says that instead you have received God's spirit when he listen to this word when he adopted you. He adopted you. We're his legally. We have all rights to the kingdom, everybody. So we didn't just say, hey, you can call me father and I'll give you a new name. No, what he said is, when you are adopted, you get all rights and privileges that come to living in the kingdom. And sometimes we're adopted by the king. We forget that part. We think that we just get a new name. No, no, no. We get a new everything. And we get to be a part of this kingdom. So he says, instead, you receive God's spirit. When he adopted you... As his own children. As his own children. Now, because he's adopted us, listen to what, what Paul's saying here in Romans. He says, now we can call him Abba, Father. Because just Father is not good enough. He's Father, Father. Dad, Dad. 
It's a repetitive nature of how we refer to our God. He says that we have been adopted and because we're adopted and we belong to the king and we are sons and daughters of the king, we refer to him as our father because the calling him father indicates our relationship with one another. So what changes from the Old Testament when we have these three references to God being our father and then we get over to the New Testament and we find that just Jesus alone calls it 193 times, uses the name father when referring to God. Can I just tell you, the difference maker between the Old Testament of God being Father and the New Testament, there's only one big massive change that took place in between that, and that is Jesus. So when Jesus comes, he reconciles us with God. Because before that point, there was a separation that had taken place between God and man. Genesis chapter 3 goes back. When sin enters the world, there was a curtain, there was a, a divide that happened that separated you and me from God. And what he did was he sent Jesus to redeem us, to reconcile the relationship, to bridge the gap and bring us back together so that you and I could have righteousness and, and be in right standing with God. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God. Because God sent Jesus to restore the relationship, to restore that which was broken. And that was the biggest change between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We, we go from the Old Testament of being so scared to say God's name to now it's so personal in the New Testament thanks to Jesus of reconciling the relationship. And so if that's how we're supposed to see God, then why do we have other thoughts and images that enter into our minds when we close our eyes and we ponder the question, what do I think about when I think about God? Why do I think that he's angry? Why do I think he's the fun police? Why do I think that he's performance-based type God? Because we have not learned to see him as our father. We have allowed other circumstances, other people, other theologies to shape how we see God. So for many, it's hard to see God as a good and perfect father because maybe your earthly father was not. And, and that, gets, that gets in the way. And maybe the reason that you struggle is because your earthly father was not a good father. If God wants us to see him as a good father, don't you think the enemy will do everything in his power to give you a completely different image, a completely different experience so that we can't live in the abundance of what God has for us as our Father. You look at the stats all throughout the U.S., and we see that fatherhood is under attack. This is a fatherless generation. And, and I would say this. I don't want to bring condemnation. I, I want to be very sensitive to this topic because there are some real hurts and there are some real struggles that are going on. But if there's not a father in your home, this is not criticism. You can find somebody. Listen, there's not a father in your home. You've got a church body to help, help you. We're here. Can, can we get an amen on that? We, it takes a village, right? And so I don't want you to hear this as condemnation because you've done something wrong. Because there's not, there, there are reasons that there may not be a father in the home. But there is a church body there to help stand in the gap to help you and serve you however we can. And we will do whatever we've got to do. We will pay for college. We will do whatever we've got to do. Let's rewind that one back. 
we will check your finances before we pay for your college. We can't have another office episode of Scott's Tots. You know what I'm talking about? I will say this, that there are no perfect dads. How many of you dads in the room would say, I've messed up? Good. Spouses are taking notes because that's going to come back later. There are no perfect dads. We all mess up. And there, there are ways in our mess-ups that our experiences have shaped the way that we view God through the lens of our earthly father. As, as dads, we've said things. We've, we've, there's, there's some wounds that we've brought onto our own kids that, that have formed and helped shape them in some areas that we've got to help unshape and make healthier. But I want to look at a couple of examples of this, of how these, there, there's five things I want us to see and how living underneath these things will completely change the way that we view God. So the way we view earthly father will change the way that we view heavenly father. So number one, maybe, maybe dad in your life was absent. Maybe he was an absent dad. He was never there. Didn't show up to the game. Didn't show up to graduation. Didn't show up to the wedding. He was never there when you needed him. When you had that first high school breakup. He wasn't there to talk you through it, to help you through it. So maybe for some of you, you would say, listen, my, my dad was absent. Maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe physically. Maybe emotionally. Maybe sexually. There was an abuse that happened. And when that abuse happened, there was no trust. You, you couldn't get away from it. it. It was like it affected every relationship that you possibly had. Because you can't trust anybody. Because I can't trust my dad because he's been abusive. The way that, And maybe it wasn't towards you. Maybe it was towards your mom. Maybe it was towards friends. Just a very explosive and abusive father. Maybe your dad was performance-based. You made honor roll. A's and B's. Wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough. Why couldn't you make straight A's? Why don't you have a 4.0? Why'd you strike out two times? Think about it. Performance-based. Well, you didn't do these things, so I don't care. That we, we felt like maybe your dad was performance. Maybe your dad was passive. He just wasn't involved. Just didn't care. He was there, but he wasn't there. He didn't sit with you in your tears. He didn't comfort you. He, he sat at your games or sat at your awards or he just didn't, just passive. Whatever happens, happens. You'll get over it. Maybe you often heard the words when you were hurt, just suck it up, get over it. Very passive. And maybe for many of us, you would say, listen, my dad was not perfect, but he was loving. And I hope there's a lot of that in the room. And I hope that we would strive as fathers to be there, that I'm not, I'm not perfect, not perfect, but I was loving. And maybe you realize your dad wasn't perfect. Maybe you heard him say some things sometimes that you couldn't believe he said, some language. But he loved you, and he was there, and he would comfort you, 
And he was at all the events celebrating you, talking about how great you were. You were and are the apple of his eyes. Now, would you agree when if I say that very few wounds can cut deeper than that of a father's wounds? You ever talk to your, your daughters or your sons and you've said something and you can just realize in the moment you just crush them with what you said. Just crush them. Because the wounds of a father cut deep. 85% of our youth today, 85% of youth in prison come from fatherless homes. 85%. And a lot of that is that sometimes that we have projected onto God how we feel about our earthly father. Because we grew up fatherless or we grew up in an abusive home or we grew up in, in, in a home where dad was absent or performance-based or passive. And that's the way that we viewed, we viewed God. See, I, I remember I grew up in, in, in this mindset of performance-based I've got to do these things to get love and attention and care. And that's, that's, the, that's the values that I bought into, right? I started seeing God in that same way. started seeing him in that same way. So any, any lens that I was looking at God, it was, if I don't do this, God's going to punish me. I, I'd go to bed many nights in college as a Bible student in tears thinking that God hated me, God didn't have, want to have a relationship, and I had done something that day to where he pulled away and said, I, I don't even care for you anymore, you're not my child. And there were many nights I would go to bed just praying, asking God to save me because I didn't think I was even saved because I didn't do enough for him to love me. And that was, that was the mindset. But then I began to get in the scriptures and I began to read about who it is that the father was and, and how he cares. And, and I had to begin letting the scriptures sink in and I had to begin to change the way that I was thinking about them. And I really, I went through this and we would call it deconstruction now and there's a lot of that going on and I don't have a problem. Listen, I don't have a problem with deconstruction as long as it leads you back to Jesus. But I had to go through a time I had to just strip everything away and really ask myself, what is it that I really believe in Jesus? And once I got to that point, I realized he's not after my performance and after what I can do. Because listen, if you got a perfect God, what can I do in my broken self to really make him go, oh, yay, look at you? Nothing. Oh, yeah, God's impressed by what I just did. But he threw the stars out in the sky. And this is the perspective that I had. And my challenge to you is that, that you would pray with these words when you to help reshape your mind is, is our father our father I mean have you ever imagined a good and perfect father what that would look like a good and perfect father what would that look like in your life a dad that loved you for who you are and refused to let you stay the way that you are I want to give you a, a couple of pieces because we again if you view god the earthly through earthly lens of your father and let's say you see god as an abusive god okay so so the earthly side is or absent excuse me we i've i worship this this god that i feel like he's absent because my dad was absent and what we've done is we we've thrown we've thrown our experience on who he is and so what will happen is, and I think we have this up on the next slide, is if you 
you think God is absent, here's the good news. The Bible says that God will never, ever leave you. He's not an absent God. So if, you, if your father was absent and you thought that God was nothing when you were thinking about him, I want to I give you a new mindset that that's not the case. God is not absent from your life. In Psalms chapter 27, he says this, Even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Even if, even if mom and dad abandon me, my heavenly father is going to hold me close because he is not absent. If you see you came from an abusive background and that's affecting the way that you see God, listen, God says in his word that he will never harm you. He'll never harm you. And I know in, in Psalms 27.10, he says that God is a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. So, so God is with you, but he's also defending you because where you may have grown up in an abusive relationship and an abusive home, he, he says that he will never, ever harm you. The heavenly father will never harm you because he's not abusive. He is gentle. He is kind. He is not waiting on you to mess up so he can rub it in your face. We're not going to get to heaven and stand before him and he's going to go, oh man. Man, you did great. You served, you were a missionary for 55 years. But there was that one time. It's not going to be, and a lot of us think that's the way it's going to be in heaven. That he's going to play this videotape of our whole lives and he's going to pick every little thing that we've done wrong. I've always said that I, when I get to heaven, I just want Jesus to say, good try. Good try. I love you. That's, all, I, I, that's what I'm shooting for. I don't know where you are. My standard is low. If you saw God as performance-based, listen, you never have to earn his love. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. You can't give enough, you can't serve enough, you can't share the gospel enough. You can go live in a monastery for the rest of your life and study the scriptures and quote it from the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and shoot, why not just go ahead and learn it in Latin too? That's not going to make God love you anymore. Let me just tell you, God's not going to love you any more or any less than he does right now. There's nothing that you can do that he's going to go, <laughs> whoops, don't want this relationship anymore. But we live that way. Because we live in this performance-based. Listen to what the scriptures say. He says, for by, please tell me what that word is. Grace. Oh, so it's by grace that you've been saved. Not you've been saved by all the good things that you've done. You've been saved by grace. Let me tell you what grace is. It's unmerited favor. You didn't earn it, I didn't earn it. You remember when you bombed that test in school and the teacher said, I'm going to give you guys a retest tomorrow? That's grace. And we didn't do anything to earn that. And then when they wouldn't let you retake it, it's persecution. <laughs> At least that's the way I thought. He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And listen, this is not the doing. This is not your own doing. I love this, the phrase that Paul chooses to use here. It's not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of work so that one may boast. And, and here's what he's saying. 
you didn't do anything for this. God has given us this. We don't have to earn his love. He has graciously. The Bible even says he's lavished his love on us. He's lavished it on us. And if it's a gift, a gift is only a gift if you receive it. So we have to receive this grace. What about being passive? If you felt like you saw God being, or your, your father being passive on earth, we'll, we'll put that on our heavenly father. But God is always active. He's at work right now. In this room. In that street. In that car that's going by. Right now, God is at work in that vehicle. The question is, do we choose to see that God's not passive. He is actively at work around us and in us constantly. It's just a matter, do we see this? And the Bible tells us this in Hebrews. For the word of God is, listen to these words, the word of God, he's talking about the scriptures, it is living, it is active, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Now that sword we think is a big sword. Actually, if you break it down in the Greek, it was talking about the, the, a fishing knife, like the one that Peter used to chop the guy's ear off. Because... It was small, but it was razor sharp. And so that's, that's the Greek language. That's important, not a big sword because swords get dull. But he says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing the division of the soul. It is separating out that of the gospel and that of godly things and that of ungodly things. It pierces the division of the soul. It pierces the division of the spirit, of the joints, and of the marrow. And it's discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That doesn't sound like something that's passive, does it? Because if somebody came wielding in here with a fishing knife, we wouldn't be like, don't worry about them, that's just passive. Right? God is not passive. He is active. And let me tell you, if, if your thought of God or your father was that he's not perfect but he's loving, it's going to be a little bit easier for you to see God in a, in a new light. And here's what the Bible says is that he is never ending. It is a perfect love. There's not going to be a day where he's going to cut the relationship and say, I don't want to. He's not going to walk out on you. If you feel like you and God have, there's distance between you. Can I just tell you, it wasn't God that moved. It was you. And the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus knows what we were going to do in advance. Christ died for us. Let that weight sit on you for just a second. You were on his mind on the cross. He knew the sins. He knew the, the conversations that we would have. He knew the emotional damage that we would cause on people. He knew the damage that would be caused to us. And he says, and while, while I knew you were going to do those things, I still died for you. Now hear this verse. Paul writes this, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. Nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate us. He is a loving God who is never ending. There is nothing that you can do. You can try all you want to sabotage and make God not love you anymore. Because some of us will self-sabotage relationships. When it gets too hard, we will sabotage it to get away from the relationship. Because we don't want to face the tension. And he's saying, this is a never-ending relationship. I love you. It's kind of like interest. You stuck with it. Always follows. But this is good interest. It's good for your interest, actually. And so what he says is, listen, nothing will be able to separate this relationship. You can't sabotage the relationship. Psalms 136 says this. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures. And what's that word? Mm. And this is the Old Testament. This is before they knew they could call him father. And David says, give thanks to the God of heaven because he has a steadfast love. That love will endure forever. David's like, I'm going to wake up tomorrow in this field of sheep and I'm going to be like, still loves me. And I'm going to be a king one day and he's still going to love me. And I'm going to stand on top of my palace one day and I'm going to look down and I'm going to end up having an affair and then committing murder and God's going to still love me and restore me. This isn't a grace going wild that because he's always going to love you, you go do whatever you want to do, right? There's a holiness piece to all of this. It's a transformation and a sanctification piece to all of this. But listen, here, here's what I'm saying is that we have a father who loves us and who cares for us and we have let the world and the enemy keep us from being able to have a good perspective on who he is. And we've allowed our earthly fathers, no matter where you came from, that is shaping the way that we see God as Father. And here's my prayer, is that those walls will be broken down and you will see him for who he is. Because I believe that when you see him for who he is, it changes how you live for him. Because you'll trust him, you'll talk to him differently, you'll see him differently. It It just changes everything. So this morning, we're gonna, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray that our Father is going to be the words that you use when you talk to him for a while so you can get this perspective. But we're going to sing a song, a very cliche song. I actually told Cameron we're going to sing this, and don't hate me. But I said, I want us to sing the song, Good, Good Father, because it has a history besides being played 40,000 times a day on the radio. But the guy that wrote the song, one of the co-writers, believe it or not, was not Chris Tomlin. But the co-writer wrote the song. He said that they were just in a spontaneous worship moment. And for four years, every once in a while, they would say, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. You know the next line? That's who you are. And they said that one day they finally got in a room after singing it for four years, and they began to really craft this song. And it was going to be, you're a good father. But they felt like, that wasn't enough just to call him good father. You're, you're a good, good father. But the, the co-writer wrote this out of a place that he grew up without a father. And he had to re-see who God was because his view of father was one that was absent and one that walks out. And then he penned these words that I've heard a thousand stories of what they say you're like. 
that you're a good, good father because it was through experience of who dad was. So one of the starting points to us reframing the way that we see God this morning is just pronouncing who he is and singing it, that you're a good, good father. I know what you're saying. I don't have a good voice. He's a good father. He loves your voice, even if it is in the wrong key. He loves it because I believe that God smiles down and loves to hear his kids sing. You like to hear your kids sing. They probably sing out of key too, right? Because you are tired of hearing about Bruno. I thought we don't talk about Bruno, but we keep singing about Bruno. You know what I'm saying? If you don't know what that is, God has blessed your life. But let me pray for you. (laughs) Father, I pray right now that our image would be completely different. That when we close our eyes and we see you, it wouldn't be as some abusive, distant, passive God. That it would be a God who is a God that redeems, a God that loves, a God that gives us grace, a God that will never leave or forsake us. That there's nothing that we could do to sabotage the relationship between the two of us. So I pray right now, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to proclaim as a body who you are. You are our Father. So may we declare that with boldness this morning and shake the gates of hell because the enemy doesn't want to hear that. So today we stand in confidence that you are our Father. Let's stand and let's sing this morning.